as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and get your Bibles and open them to the book of Exodus. We're continuing our sermon series in this wonderful book. I pray that it has been encouraging to you. I know it has been for me. Um, oftentimes, I'll tell Aaron as we're going through these books, like, I, I don't know if this was as much for all of us or just what God knew I needed, but this is the cool part, is God's working in both at the same time. And so I pray that this has been an encouraging study for you as we are reminded of God and his power and his might as we study the book of Exodus. Uh, just as a way of reminder, let me go back a little ways. When we began our study in this book, we picked up where the book of Genesis left off, and we have 70 people in the land of Egypt, right? And these are God's people. We followed the patriarchs through the book of Genesis, and now them and their families, they show up in Egypt, and God uses uh, Joseph to preserve his people in Egypt so that he might help them flourish and grow. And that's what the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter one, that this family that starts out as 70 people, when they make it to the land, it begins to grow and multiply and flourish to the point that they become a mighty nation within the nation of Egypt. And the Bible also tells us as a result of that, Pharaoh gets together with his people and he says, listen, we've got to do something about this problem. Uh, Israel, they're becoming too mighty. They're becoming too great. And so they seek to oppress them. They seek to put them into bondage, into slavery so that they might uh, keep them from multiplying and keep them from flourishing. And we see in the middle of all this that God is working a plan of redemption, a plan of salvation to bring his people out from bondage. And we get to chapter two and we see that God begins to work through a family, and he begins to work through a man named Moses, and God's calling Moses out to be a part of his greater redemptive story. And he, he tells Moses in, in, in chapter 3 in a, in a burning bush moment that this is what you're going to do. You're going to go before the people. You're going to go before the elders of Israel, and you're going to tell them that I've remembered my covenant, and I'm going to bring my people out, and they're going to believe, and they're going to worship. And then you're also going to go to Pharaoh himself, and when you go to Pharaoh, you're going to tell him that you're to let God's people go. And God goes on to tell Moses that Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. In fact, uh, he's going to do the opposite of listen to you. He's going to double down and he's going to have to be compelled by God's mighty hand. And so that's kind of where we left off last week. They go before Pharaoh, just as God said. The very first time they go before Pharaoh, they say, thus says the Lord, you're to let his people go. And Pharaoh says, nah, I'm not going to do that, right? We find ourselves where we're at today. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 7. And our goal for this morning is to cover verse 1 through 13. And right now we're kind of in the in-between, right? So they've gone to Pharaoh the first time. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let God's people go. And we're not quite to the judgments that we see coming up in the book of Exodus. We're right in the in-between. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the sovereignty of God. So God spends these verses 
reminding everybody that he is God and he is God alone, right? Like he is sovereign. And so uh, I wanna give you a good definition for sovereignty. It's my own. I don't know that you could find this looking it up anywhere else, but it has served me well the last several years of following the Lord. So I wanted to share it with you this morning. The sovereignty of God. What does it mean that God is sovereign? It means that God is God and I'm not. All right, God is God and I'm not. So with that being said, that helps remind me in all things that God has all of the knowledge, God has all of the power, and God has all of the authority because he is God and he is God alone and we're not, right? And so that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning. We're gonna be talking about God's sovereignty. We're gonna be seeing how he has all the knowledge and all of the power and all of the authority. And I think for most of us in the room, the first two are like, yes, of course, God is, is all-knowing, right? And God's all-powerful. I think the one that might be the most challenging for all people everywhere is that God has supreme authority, Right? We even see that going back from the beginning of this book. Even Satan himself, what does he rebel against? He rebels against God's authority. We see this in Genesis chapter 3 when sin enters into the world. What are Adam and Eve doing? They're actually rebelling against God's sovereign authority, against God's supreme authority in the Garden of Eden. Sin doesn't enter into the world because they ate the wrong kind of fruit. Praise God. Who, who, who would have known, right? But, but it, because they rebelled against God's supreme authority in that moment. And so we've all kind of had that place where we've wrestled with this. At some point in our lives, we've all had to wrestle with the notion that God is God and we're not, that he does have all the knowledge, that he does have all the power, and he does have all of the authority. Remember not too long ago, Aaron and I were uh, in, uh, on, a, on a date night. We go to um, Prairie Fire quite often, and uh, we go there to mostly eat at Grimaldi's. I don't know if you guys have ever eaten at Grimaldi's Pizza or not. This is a plug for Grimaldi's Pizza. It's fantastic. It's the best pizza I've ever had. So we go over there all the time. And we love it when the weather is nice enough that we can eat outside. They've got a little, a little outdoor patio area. And one day we went there and we were seated outside. And, and the way the table is, is situated, like we're facing like, like the road where everybody's walking right here. And there's a table that's not too far behind us, just back over both of our shoulders. And there's a young couple sitting at this table. And as we are in conversation and the waitress comes to take our drink orders and, and all this stuff, we, we overhear something from the table behind us, right? And I know that I'm not the only person in here. Like y'all ever been somewhere where like you're not really at your own table, like you hear something and now you're at someone else's table and you're like, oh goodness. Now it was awkward because we couldn't look back, right? And so we didn't want to like turn around and just welcome ourselves to this conversation, but we're still trying to listen, like we're, we're eavesdropping, right? And so he says something in the middle of this conversation that as I'm telling the waitress that I would just like water to drink, it, my brain just goes, oh, we're done here, we're back here, Right? <laughs> And so what he says is, he leans over to this young lady that he's with, and he says, I think I've come to the conclusion that God is real. And so I'm like, oh, I'm at this table now, right? Like, woo. And so I'm like, man, this is, this is going to be fascinating. I, I really want to hear what this guy says. And it was what he said next that really made me engage 
with the conversation behind us. In fact, Aaron and I both were like, we're just going to spend this whole date night listening to what they're saying, right? And he goes on to say, I've, I've concluded that God must be real, but here are the things that I have issue with, right? Some of the things I have issue with. I have issue with the way that God does things, right? And I have issue with the fact that I would have to do what God says, Right? And so now I'm like, oh, goodness, we're, we are. We're going to spend the rest of the night back here because what is, what is he really questioning? He's ultimately questioning authority, right? He's questioning God's authority. Like there may be a God, but even if there is a God, why, why do I have to do what that God says? And the answer to that question is the sovereignty of God, right? He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He has all the authority. And because of those things, because of those things, we are to do what he says, right? We, we are not God. As I said, we, we have to come to that conclusion that God is God and we are not. And so that's what we're going to look at in our text today because Pharaoh, if you remember last week, Pharaoh says something very similar to what the young man said at the table behind us at Grimaldi's. In chapter five, verse two, flip back there with me for just a second. Chapter five, verse two, Pharaoh asked the same question. It says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let the people go, right? Pharaoh is questioning the authority of God in this moment. Who is God that I should do what he says to do? that I should let the people go. I don't know this God. What, what, what should be the, the reasoning behind me doing what he says to do? And so we see that he questions God's authority. And so I believe these, these chapters and these, these verses that we're gonna cover here this morning, they serve as lessons for Pharaoh, but they also serve as lessons for all of the Egyptians and Moses and Aaron and the Israelites and for all of us that are sitting in this room here this morning. These verses are gonna serve as lessons on God's sovereignty and I think that God is going to seek to answer those questions in the next couple weeks, right? God is gonna answer for us why we should obey his voice and it's because he is God and we are not. He alone is the sovereign creator of the universe. He is totally other than, and we should align ourselves under his authority, all right? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna read all 13 of these verses in chapter seven, then we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna work through a couple of the lessons that we see here in this text this morning, all right? Begin reading with me in verse one of chapter seven. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will burden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment." If you underline or circle in your Bible, this is the main verse in this section. Verse five, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. 
Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt. Also, they did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. God, I pray that you'd guide our time together. God, I pray that we'd be reminded that you are sovereign king. God, that you are sovereign creator. God, that you have all of the knowledge, that you have all of the power, and that you have all of the authority. And God, I pray that we would learn these valuable lessons in this text this morning about your sovereignty. And God, I pray that every single person in this room would come to the same conclusion. And that conclusion is that you are God and we are not. God, we want to surrender. We want to align ourselves under you and your authority under your power, under your plans. God, everything, Lord, we recognize that it's you and you alone that it is God. And so I pray that you would help us in this time together, illuminate this passage. God, help us to better understand it so we can apply it to our lives and we could be doers of your word and not hearers only. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. As I said, we're gonna work through this text. We're gonna go back and look at it in chunks here. There's really three, at least three lessons here that we see about God's sovereignty in this text that I wanna make sure that we don't miss. The first lesson that we see here is in the first five verses. And the first lesson we see is that God will work his plan. God will work his plan because he has all the knowledge and all of the power and all of the authority. What God says is going to happen is exactly what happens. We've seen that time and time again as we studied the book of Exodus. Along the way, God has not supplied for Moses and Aaron and even us all of the details, but God has supplied enough for us to be able to track that what he says would happen is exactly what happened. And for us as believers, that should bring about encouragement for us. I want us to look at this passage for a second because I want to see how God uh, tells us this plan. And God is so emphatic, right? Because he can be, because he is sovereign, because he says so, that's what's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I've not been very successful at that, right? I'm not very good at speaking things into existence, and I'm not very good at being able to say, this is exactly how things are going to go, but God, God can do that because he is God and we are not. So check this out, starting in verse two. He tells them, you shall speak what I command you. Your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of go. And then I want you to see all of the I will statements in the next several verses. God goes on, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host and my people, the children, out of the land of Egypt by great acts 
of judgment. And then in verse five, they will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against them. So God in his sovereignty is going to work his plan. Make no mistake about it. God has a plan and it will go exactly the way that God says it'll go in this moment. Now, one of the things I wanna make sure that we understand though is that God is sovereign. He will work his plan, but God has also allowed us to have free will, right? It's it's not fatalistic in its approach. It's not like we're just robots walking around doing exactly what God says to do, but God is working his plan in this. So in the middle of all of these people that are acting upon their own free will, God is executing a plan exactly the way that he wants it to play out. Just check that out. I command, I will, I will, I will. For us as believers, this should be incredibly encouraging. It should be encouraging in the sense that God has shared more of his plans with us in the future, right? He's told us that he goes to prepare a place for us. He told us that he's coming back. He told us that he's coming back to take us to be where he is at. And so we can take courage in those promises because we know when God says that he has a plan, it's gonna go exactly the way that God says it is gonna go. God's not crossing his fingers on this deal. And God's not hoping that things turn out the way that he says that they would turn out. God knows and is emphatic about sharing his plan with Moses and with Aaron. So the first lesson we see here is that God will work his plan. Number two, we see in verses six through 10, and we're reminded that God is in control. Look at verse six through 10. It says, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. By the way, I want to stop here for a second. This isn't exactly what we're talking about, but isn't that encouraging to see that they are growing, right? Like they spend the better part of a whole chapter, almost two chapters in the book of Exodus, giving God all the reasons why they couldn't obey what he says to do. And now we see that they've progressed to a point in their relationship with God that now God says, go back again. And they don't question, they don't offer up their opinions about anything, nothing. It says, and they just did so. So good for them, encouraging for us that that we can grow in our relationship with Christ. But he says, they go back to Pharaoh a second time. And then in verse nine, he says, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, here's what you're to do. And the reason why I said God is in control is God not only is working his plan exactly the way that he wants to work it, but he's also in control of every single person, every single circumstance, every single conversation that they're about to face. He says, listen, you're gonna go back to Pharaoh and when he says, and God knows what he's gonna say because remember, because of God's sovereignty, he has all of the knowledge and all the power and all the authority. So here's what's gonna happen. When he says this, here's what you're to do. And one of the most encouraging things to me this week, I think, as I studied this text, is just a reminder that God is working and he's in control of all things on a a macro scale and a micro scale, right? Like, Like in the middle of God working his plan of salvation and redemption for an entire nation of people, at the exact same time, God is in control of the interactions that Moses and Aaron have with Pharaoh himself. 
And so God is working both at the same time. And he can do that because he is sovereign. And he's in control of all things. So he's going to work his plan. And in the middle of working his plan, God is intimately involved in control of every single interaction, every single nuance, every single detail. I think that's so good for us to be reminded of as believers so that when we look around, we don't panic. We can rest in the fact that God is in control. In fact, God has never not been in control. So can I encourage you with something? When you listen to the news and you turn it on and you see everything that's going on in the world around you, let me challenge you with two things. Number one, things are not the worst that they've ever been. Contrary to popular belief and what we might think and might feel in those moments, like things have gone in cycles from the very beginning of human history. And things have gotten super bad and then not so much. It's super bad and not so much. And every single step of the way, God was in control. Now, God may not have done and acted in the way that we think he should have acted in all of those moments, but he was never not in control. So number one, remind yourself of that. Number two, to panic, to become fearful of all the things that we see happening around us in our world, in our nation, in our city, even in our own lives, to get to a place of fear and panic is to get to a place where you're saying with your life that you believe that God is not in control. You're saying that. If you get to a place of panic and you watch the news, you're going, oh, what are we gonna do? I can assure you of this. God is not panicking. God never has, he never will. And he's in control of every single thing that you see going on. He has not lost control. To panic is to come to a place where you say God's lost control. And that's untrue and it's unbiblical. So take that as an encouragement that no matter what you see, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter how bad things look, God is still working his plan and God is still in control today just like he was here in the book of Exodus. So the second thing we're reminded of is that God is in control. He knows all the details and he's working everything out the way that he intends for it to work out. So we see as we work and go through this text, we get to the third thing in this text. Number three is this, is that God is the supreme authority. God is the supreme authority. Remember, this is where we've been to this point. This is really Pharaoh, this interaction here in verses 11 through 13. I believe that this is God's mercy and this is God's kindness towards Pharaoh. He's trying to answer Pharaoh's question before he really has to answer Pharaoh's question, right? And what was Pharaoh's question? Who is God that I should obey his voice? That's what we're seeing in this text is God's gonna remind him that he is the supreme authority, that Pharaoh needs to understand that, right? We were talking about this week. It's like with our kids. At our house, they just understand authority and they just do exactly what we say all the time, the first time. That's like, no, you know that's not true. I had looked faces of people that were looking around going, what kind of children do you have? That hasn't been our experience at all. In fact, we were talking about that this week and and talking about uh, authority, Karsten was helping us with Landry last, or not Landry, uh, which one of my kids are we talking about here? Lincoln, 
the littlest one, Lincoln. So she got out of bed, and Carson was telling us, like, she's out of bed. And we're like, hey, we're, we're praying over the, the passage for this morning. Can you go just put her back in her bed? And she says, I'll do it for a soda. <laughs> I thought, why not just do it because we're your parents, and you're supposed to be respectful of our authority, right? And so then I asked her, I said, so what are you going to do one day when you're the mom and you just have to help put the baby back to bed just because? And she said, well, when I'm a mom, then I can give myself a soda. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? Touche. But still, back to authority, right? So here's the 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 whole concept here when it comes to authority. It's really answering that question of who is God that I should obey him? And God's going to demonstrate that for him in a pretty unique way, but we see it in verses 11 through 13. It says, then Pharaoh summoned his wise men, and the, oh, back, back up here. They, Aaron throws his staff down on the ground. We read in verse 10, and it becomes a serpent. So remember, God said, when he asked for a sign, here's the sign, so that's what they do. Then look at verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and it became serpents. But before we go on any further, let me stop right there. It, it, just, it just shows you Pharaoh's heart in this deal. It shows you that he's still questioning God's authority, right? So, so Aaron throws down his staff, it becomes a serpent. And remember, in the back of Pharaoh's mind, he's going, listen, who is God that I should obey his voice? Who is God that I should let his people go? Neat trick. You turned a stick into a snake. I've got guys that can do that too. And so he goes and he summons his guys and they come in and he goes, okay, show these guys that you can also do this. And the Bible tells us that they throw their sticks down on the ground and they also become serpents. And so you can imagine Pharaoh's right back where he started, right? He's going, who is God? that I should obey his voice. You think I'm gonna let the people go because you turned a stick into a snake? I've got guys that did the same thing and they're not in charge. These guys work for me. I'm Pharaoh, I'm the king of Egypt. They're doing the things that I tell them, so who is God that I should obey his voice? And then we see at the second half of verse 12 there, it says, but... But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. That word swallowed up right there, it's the same word that we're gonna see here in a little bit when they're crossing the Red Sea and the Bible tells us that God releases it on the people and they're swallowed up by God. And God is foreshadowing things to come and God is demonstrating for them that he is the supreme authority. I don't really know why so many sticks are turning into stakes at this point in human history, but that's what was going on. And what they should have walked away with is the knowledge that something here is different. One of these things is real. One of these things is counterfeit. One of these things is real and one of these things is gimmicky. And God was warning them, I am the supreme authority. You might be able to turn sticks into snakes But this serpent swallows up the other serpents just to demonstrate that we're not the same. And we're gonna see that as we progress through this book. Like God said, I'm gonna perform mighty judgments and they're gonna build on one another and they're they're gonna get progressively worse and different and God is going to answer Pharaoh's question. 
Make no mistake about it. God will answer the question. There's going to come a time in Pharaoh's life when he knows why he should obey the voice of the Lord. Because God is God and he is not. And God's going to take them on this journey. And he's going to reveal all of these things to them in judgment. But first, we see that in verse 13 that Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. He still won't come to that place where he recognizes that God is sovereign. And this God, this God of all the other gods, this God is different. So God's gonna take him on that journey. But with all that being said, a couple things I wanna challenge us with this morning. When we think of God's sovereignty, when we think of a sovereign king, when we think of a sovereign creator, as believers, how should we respond? We see how Pharaoh is responding. It makes us all cringe, right? I hope you don't have to learn this lesson. But so how should we respond as believers? A couple of things. Number one, be obedient. Be obedient. Listen, because God has all of the knowledge and all the power and all the authority. How should I respond to that? I should respond to that with obedience. I should just do whatever he says. And I fear for all of us that we don't quite understand who we're dealing with. We get in our minds that, yes, God wants a relationship with us and God loves us and all those things are true. But at the same time, God is sovereign and God is holy. And he's not to be messed around with. I feel like if we really understood that, we wouldn't be questioning things all the time. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna, I don't know if I feel up for that today. We would be cringing to it ourselves going, oh my goodness. When God says go, we just go. It it reminds me a lot of Abraham in Genesis. When God shows up and tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice. What kind of relationship? It's always stood out to me. What must Abraham know about God? that he just goes out to the barn and he gets the donkeys ready. And then he goes inside and he packs up his suitcase. Then he goes out and he chops wood and he loads that too. Then he goes and gets Isaac and says, hey, we're going on a trip. Like what, what is that obedience? He doesn't question, he doesn't hesitate, nothing. He just goes And he just does exactly what God says to do. What I think it is, it's a person who rightly understands who God is and also rightly understands who he is in light of that. If we truly understood God's holiness, would we be at a place of questioning? Or would we just respond with obedience? So number one, be obedient. God is working his plan. Just be obedient to it. God, wherever, whenever, however, my right and good response to a holy God who is nothing but sovereign is here's my life. Do with it what you wish. Galatians 2.20, that's why it's my favorite verse. 
Not because I do it well, because I need reminded of it every day. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What that reminds me of is that I am nothing and God is everything. So Lord, here's the life as a blank check. Whenever, wherever, however, you just say go and I'll go. That's, that's my desire is to be that kind of believer. Number two, be courageous. Knowing that God is sovereign over all things, that he has all the knowledge and all the power and all the authority, be courageous. Reminds me of, of Joshua 1.9. God says, listen, be strong and very courageous. Not in yourself, but in me. He says, you can be strong and courageous because I am going with you. We can be courageous, especially when we know we're in alignment with God. And we know if we're in alignment with God by reading this book. Now, it won't give us every detail and every answer, every question. We just celebrated that with graduate recognition last week. We gave them the book, Just Do Something. The whole idea of that book is, listen, I don't know that you're, you're not gonna be able to open this up and it tells you your spouse's name or what you're gonna do for a living or anything like that. But you know what? When I open it up, it does tell me enough about what I need to know for me to get busy doing something. And so that's the whole idea. Be courageous. Knowing that God's in control, he has all the authority and he's asked us to do some very specific things. Let me ask you this question. What would you do today for kingdom impact if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do today for kingdom impact if you knew that you couldn't fail? Would you be courageous enough to walk across the street and share the gospel with your neighbor? Would you be courageous enough to start a discipleship group or a Bible study with some guys from your work that don't know Jesus? Would you be courageous enough to start, at least in your own home, and lead out, show your kids what it means to be in God's word and, and, and to pray to him and to love him and, and be obedient and courageous and all of these things that we're gonna talk about? But be courageous. Like, what would you do? Would you do something in missions? Would you start something in our community? I can't answer this question for you. Only the Lord can. But what would you do if you knew that if you were in alignment with God, that he was with you and that you couldn't fail? So be courageous. Number three, be fully surrendered. Be fully surrendered. Listen, that's what this whole book is about for us. It's about surrendering to Christ's lordship. I feel like for so many of us believers, man, it's, we're, we're mostly surrendered. We're kind of surrendered. But to be fully surrendered means that there's nothing in the place of Jesus. You can't be fully surrendered to Christ and he'd be like fifth on your list of things. And it breaks my heart all the time like, like to look around and see that, like our list of priorities and things. If we were just to examine our own lives and what we do and what we say, like, like where would he come out? To live fully surrendered means he's on the throne. 
that he has supreme authority over my life. Means if he, even if he shows up and he says, listen, this is, this is what I want you to do, and it makes no sense to you. I've seen God do it time and time again, show up to even men who have wonderful, awesome, well-paying jobs and say, hey, you're not doing that anymore. You're doing this. You'll know that even about Pastor Travis's story from before. It's just like, okay, makes no sense to me, but I'm going. That's what we mean by living fully surrendered, that there's nothing else on the throne. It wasn't too long ago that I saw one of those uh, bumper stickers. And if you have one of these, let me just apologize in advance for what I'm about to say. That said, Jesus is my co-pilot. At the light, I almost got out and tried to remove it. Because it's just so, what does that mean? By definition, you're just saying that you've got it until you don't, and then Jesus can jump in. The whole idea of being fully surrendered to Jesus' lordship is that he is the driver, he's the pilot. We're not even his co-pilots. I'm in coach or underneath, I don't know. But I'm none of those things. God alone is sovereign, and because of that, I should rightly respond to that sovereignty with full surrender. And by the way, this is the picture of true salvation. Even I have been guilty of saying things that I'm gonna try not to say so much anymore, like accept Jesus as Lord. The more I think about it this week, the more I'm like, you know what? Jesus is Lord whether you accept him or not. What this book is about is about surrender, not acceptance, surrender. It's coming to a place in your life when you recognize that God, you are God and I'm not. And I can't save myself, only you can. And I'm gonna align myself under your lordship and I'm gonna surrender everything I have to you because you are sovereign king and you are worth it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you again for the reminder from your, your word, God, that you are sovereign. God, that you are all-powerful and all-knowing. And God, you are the supreme authority on all things. And God, by default, that means that we're not. God, we recognize this morning that you are king and that you are Lord and that we need you for everything. God, as we just sang, we need you. Lord, I need you every moment and every hour. I need you to sustain me. I need you to encourage me. And I need you to walk with me. I need you to keep me from what I don't know. God, I pray that you'd keep us from ourselves. And God, we ultimately need you for salvation. God, we need you for everything. I pray this morning that that would bring us a great deal of encouragement. That we'd recognize, God, that you're working your plan and that you're in control and that this all has to do with you and it has nothing to do with us. Praise God. God, I can't do anything to mess this up. I can't do anything to lose it. God, I just surrender. God, I pray the same for every single person in this room that we're all at that place that we recognize, God, that you are sovereign, Lord. Thank you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.